Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Grace. Have you ever wondered why we call it Good Friday when what happened that day was so bad? As many of you know, uh, this week, Christians all around the world are going to be celebrating what we often call Passion Week. I suppose the word celebration may not be the best. It's really more of a remembrance of all that happened on this Passion Week or Holy Week. It starts today. This is what we call Palm Sunday. It kind of recognizes Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, where he was hailed and and welcomed with enthusiasm. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as the people said that, they were recognizing in Jesus the long-awaited Messiah, the one who was coming to deliver his people from oppression, to be all that Messiah was to be, even though their view of that was, was really a bit skewed. But here's the deal. Only five days later, those who were saying, hail him, were saying, nail him to a cross. If you know the story, you know that the cheers had turned to jeers. The applause and adulation had soured into abuse and pity. Isn't it kind of funny? Isn't that rather sort of a commentary on the way life can be? I mean, fortunes can turn on a dime, can't they? Have you seen it happen maybe in your own life? Night can turn to day, day to night so quickly. Fortunes can be won and lost in an instant. They change like the weather. And from a human perspective, that's exactly what happened to Jesus. So again, I ask, isn't it weird that we call it Good Friday. I mean, if we called Easter Sunday Good Sunday, I would get that because it was good. It's victory. It's vindication. Jesus comes back to life and is raised victoriously by God the Father. It's wonderful. There would be a legitimate reason to call it Good Sunday. But Good Friday? I mean, come on. Has has someone, have we forgotten what happened that day? I mean, you tell me, what was good about that Friday, huh? A defenseless man arrested, beaten to a pulp by bored and sadistic Roman soldiers, What was good? You call that good? I'd call that bad Friday. I mean, it's as though even the celestial bodies in the heavens, at least they got it. They knew something was amiss. It's almost as though they had souls or personalities. As the lights went out, literally from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., darkness ruled the landscape. Children couldn't see to play their games. Chickens went to roost early, thinking it was nightfall. Guilty souls cowered 
beneath the skies, wondering if perhaps the sword of Damocles had finally fallen. And all of their deeds done in darkness that had not yet been judged, now God was finally judging them, darkness for darkness. Surely this is the end, they thought. And you want to call that (laughs) good Friday? And what about Jesus himself? I mean, he was a hero on Sunday, but a zero on Friday, a criminal. They called him a, what was the Jew, what was the, the Jewish leaders called him a subverter of the people. Yeah, that's it. And as ribbons of quivering flesh hung from his back, causing even the most hardened hearts to pity his plight, still the drama goes on. It was a garish nightmare, and it proceeded. Thorns pressed into his skull, mocking, jeers, verbal abuse, physical blows, cheered on by demons and enemies and awkward pawns of the Roman Empire who don't have enough moral courage to finally say, stop, stop the whole charade. And you want to call That good? For the best person who ever graced the planet to be tortured beyond belief, for the one who spent his days doing good to be treated so cruelly, wow. And I can hear a cynic asking, but isn't that just the way this twisted world is? No good deed goes unpunished. That's the real law of the land on planet Earth. And we have, we have strange people running around who want to call that good. I mean, even your own Bible tells the story in all of its stark cruelty. Matthew 27, for instance, starting in verse 45, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, the way the Jewish people counted hours, that's three in the afternoon, he, he cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see, let's see, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And then verse 50 says, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. I mean, come on. What are we to make of a people? What are we to make of a movement? What are we to say about a mindset that would want to call that good? 
I'm so glad you ask. Now, some of you to this point have thought, I must have lost my mind. But I think that that is on the minds of a lot of people who are trying to figure out what kind of weird group are we that would want to call what happened on this Friday so long ago actually a good thing. And that's what I want to spend our minutes talking with you about today, okay? We have, as Christians, and I'm one of us, we have the audacity to call Good Friday good, and this is my premise today, because as horrible as it was in all of its aspects, it was not a pathetic martyrdom, but a powerful victory. And I want to try to unfold that for us briefly. It was not, not, hear me, it was not a pathetic martyrdom, but a powerful victory. On Resurrection Sunday, when a group of women came to the tomb to anoint the dead body, two angels appeared to them. I love this. And they said to these women, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. No, you, you didn't come to the wrong tomb, ladies. No, the body has not been stolen and moved. No, the Father has raised him from the dead. Jesus is risen indeed. Now, just a quick plug for next Sunday, since that's what we're going to celebrate next Sunday. We're going to talk next Sunday. Oh, I hope you'll bring a bunch of people with you. Hope you'll show up. Hope you'll be excited and stoked and ready. I'm already stoked for next Sunday. I don't want you to miss that because we're going to talk about what all the implications are from the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And they are amazing because he is alive forevermore and the ripple effect, the, the power of that continues on and on and on. But all of that is next week, okay? What about today? What are we to make of this horrible scene on Friday? What are we to make of the mystery of the crucifixion? And it is a mystery. Let's acknowledge that. Theologians have tried to wrap their brain around it for 2,000 years, but it seems that the more we study the resurrection, the deeper we go, the wider we go, the more we realize it's, it's, it's just beyond our human ability to grasp. As Moses said in Deuteronomy 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. While God has revealed a lot of great stuff to you and me, there are some things that are still secret, shut away in the counsels of God that we just can't grasp yet. But I wanna take a moment and talk to you about some of the things that we do know that the cross has done. One of the things that the cross has done is that it has unified people in astounding ways. 
This very moment as I speak, there are hundreds and hundreds of people between our three campuses and many more listening online that would call Grace Fellowship their church home. And here's the thing I know about us, those of us who who just kind of call this our community, you know? I know that we're pretty different as people. We have Republicans and Democrats. We have Southerners and Northerners. We have blacks and whites and Hispanics and Asians. Uh, Just at our Latham campus alone, we have about 40 different nations represented in terms of nations of origin. We have people who are highly educated and those with little formal schooling at all. We have rich and poor, young and old. We have New York Giants fans and normal people. I mean, it's, it's just incredible. It's just incredible how much diversity is here. And as I look around, as I look around at the kaleidoscope of differences, here, here's, the, here's the thing. Most of you have experienced the wonder of reconciliation to God. Oh, there, there was a time, there was a time in our lives when we did not have a living, vital, saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, but now we do. And wow, what a difference that has made. You could tell your stories. You could pop up right now and say, yeah, I'd be glad to tell my story. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And that's why we dare to call Good Friday good because all of that really got accomplished through what happened on that horrible, wonderful Friday as Jesus died an atoning death for our sins so that, so that, there was purpose in it, see, so that we could be forgiven. I want you to think with me about some of the other amazing things that are ours because Jesus died on that cross on what we call Good Friday. I've already mentioned this. We were lost, but now we're found. How can that be possible? Because of what Jesus did at the cross. That's why that's possible. But let's go on. The Bible tells us that before we knew Christ, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Not just struggling, we were downright dead in our sins. And now, it describes us as being alive with Christ. What could have the power to accomplish such a thing? It's the cross. The cross and what Jesus accomplished there. Once we were far, far away from God, but now we've been brought close. How? Because of the cross and what Jesus accomplished there. We were foreigners and aliens. These are all Bible words I'm using. I'm not just making it up. These are things the Bible describes us as, but now we're a part of God's own family. What would have the power to graft us and and bring us as adopted sons and daughters into God's family? The cross, the cross of Jesus and and what he did there for us. We once were guilty 
But now we're forgiven and set free from our sins. And I ask you, upon what basis is that true? There's only one answer. The cross of Jesus Christ made that possible. We once were godless and slaves in our sin, but now we've become the very temple of the Holy Spirit. Those of you who know Christ, did you know you're literally a moving, living temple of God? Did you know that? He's with you everywhere you go. Kind of a sobering thought, isn't it? That God is literally living in you. What made that possible? Again, the answer is the cross. And so when we ponder the people of this church at its various locations, I know without a doubt that the cross has power. Jesus said once, if I am lifted up, and he was referring to being lifted up on the cross, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And any of us who are saved today are saved because Jesus was lifted up on that cross, and through his death, all these good things that I'm describing have been accomplished. And that's why we have the audacity to call Good Friday good. Because as horrible as it was in every kind of way, All of the great things that are in our lives today were accomplished because of what Jesus did on that cross. So I just want to declare it loud and clear. I want to declare it unashamedly that the cross has power. His death is not a pathetic martyrdom, but a powerful victory. One of the coolest things that, that ever happened in my own life is, is as a 24-year-old, uh, straight out of seminary, I just finished a Master of Divinity degree. Doesn't that sound holy? God, aren't you glad to even be in my presence today? I tell you, wow, I can't believe how blessed you are. A Master of Divinity. Woo. And I was this 24-year-old a young man just out of school, and I moved to Amsterdam in the Netherlands to work on an international conference. What a, what a life-changing time that was for me. I lived there for over a year in Europe and did a lot of travel there, both for ministry as well as personal travel. Just unbelievable. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I had the privilege of not only working in the 1986 what was called Amsterdam 86, but then in a similar conference, even larger and more diverse, in the year 2000, after Grace had already been started, my family and I were able to go back and, and work with the Billy Graham team on another conference. Now, here's where I'm going with this. Those conferences, both of them set records. The 2001 Trump, the 1980s, both of them set records for the most diverse gatherings in history. 225 different nations were represented at that 2000 conference. And I had the chance to meet these men and women. I worked in a solution, what we called solutions department, and I met them, sat down with them, heard their stories day after day, many days working 13, 15 hours a day. It was exhausting, but it was wonderful. 
evangelists, pastors, Christian leaders from 225 nations around the world. And I saw the joy in their faces, all of them, glorious followers of Jesus. And can I tell you something today? I don't know if you think Jesus is alive in your little community or neighborhood. I don't know if you think Jesus is alive over in Dwaynesburg or over in Glenmont or up in Clifton Park or in Half Moon or over in Skodak or up in Warrensburg or down in Poughkeepsie. I don't know if you think Jesus is alive there, but can I tell you what I found out? I found out that Jesus is definitely powerful and alive in at least 225 nations on this world, in this world. 225 nations. And these men and women were living examples of that. Jesus changed their lives. And they testify to the transforming power of the cross and the resurrection. And that's, in case you wondered, why we call Good Friday good. And yet I want to say it again. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are aspects of the cross that still remain a mystery. And I want to try to unfold now in these few minutes we have remaining what one of those mysterious parts is, if you have ears to hear. There's not just one story being told on Good Friday, there's two. There's not just one narrative being lived out on Good Friday. There's actually two narratives being written. And it's like they're running, if you can imagine in your mind's eye, two tracks parallel with two stories being played out. I've already mentioned a part of the human story. Oh, that one track, the human part, was filled with injustice and jealousy and pride and sin. That's one track of the story. And that is the only part that most humans know much about or are willing to really embrace. But there's another parallel track. I hope you can see this in your mind's eye. And on this parallel track, along with the human track, on this track, there's a divine story being written. And it requires us to believe that there's a bigger grander thing happening here than just all the horrible stuff of the human story. It requires us to get our heads out of the weeds and look at a larger cosmic narrative that God is writing. Now, to help us understand this, I'm gonna grab my Bible here and turn to Isaiah 53. If you have a Bible of your own, would you turn there? I think it'll be worth your time to see a few verses in this chapter. Isaiah 53 is one of the ancient prophets who told about Jesus coming and what Messiah would actually accomplish. I'm starting here in Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering... And that's what Jesus' death was. It was a guilt offering. All the Jewish leaders had seen guilt offerings in the temple over and over again where a sacrifice was made for the forgiveness of sins. 
but he will see his offspring. Who are his offspring? That's you who know Christ. That's me. We are his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Look at verse 11. After the suffering of his soul, get this, he will see the light of light, life. That is a prophecy about the resurrection of Jesus. He will see the light of life and be satisfied. Be satisfied how? With whom? With us. His offspring, with us, who have been saved because of his sacrifice. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, that's us, and he will bear their iniquities. Whose iniquities? Mine, yours, ours. So get this. There's a human story that is gross and abhorrent and unjust, but on the parallel track is this divine story where the colors of God's amazing grace are gonna be seen in their most spectacular hues. So what happened on Good Friday is the most awful, and yet at the same moment, the most wonderful thing that has ever happened. It made our forgiveness and salvation possible. On the human track, the jealousy, the envy of the Sanhedrin, allowed the power of their wrath to be expressed. But on the parallel divine track, the just wrath of holy God was being satisfied as Christ died as a substitute for our sins and his suffering and death satisfied God's wrath on sin. Folks, only the brilliance of God could pull that off. The death of Jesus was not a pathetic martyrdom. It was a powerful victory orchestrated and executed by loving, just, and holy God. And the benefits for us are enormous. And that's why I would call it the game changer of all game changers. Isaiah 53, if I could read a couple more verses starting in verse four, he says, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now, I would highly recommend that you do something that I do on a regular basis. I heard someone suggest this years and years ago, and since then, I've done it dozens and dozens of times for my own soul's benefit, okay? I would suggest that you take a passage like this one we just read, Isaiah 53, and there are many other passages you could do this with. And I would suggest that every time you, that you see it says, we our or us, I would suggest you put in the word my. Every time you see we, our, or us, put in the pronoun my there. He took up my infirmities. He carried my sorrows. He was pierced for my transgressions and so forth. And if you do that, you will not only feel how you show up in God's redemption plan, 
but it may just transform your whole understanding of the cross. Because friend, I want you to know, he did that for you. So here's the bottom line as we kind of close today. You will never really understand Christianity if you see it as just a bunch of nice principles or kind of a set of rules to follow. You will only really understand what all of this is about when you see that the cross and what Jesus accomplished there is at the very center of it. And so here's my question. Have you ever thanked Jesus for dying as your substitute? See, here's the deal. It's the greatest love story ever told, I tell you. When Jesus came on that, what we call Palm Sunday, the one we're recognizing and remembering today, when Jesus came to the gates of Jerusalem, here's what's so amazing to me. He could have turned to the left. He could have turned to the right. He could have said, no, thank you. But he knew what he was about to face. He knew that he was going to a cross. He had told his disciples about it, even though they couldn't really grasp it. Jesus knew what awaited him. He knew that this divine track had to be played out right alongside the horrible human track. But he went through the gate anyway, and he went straight to the cross, and he did it for you. Amen. That's love. I mean, come on. I, I want, whoever you are, whatever you are on this whole journey thing, whatever intellectually you're trying to wrap your mind around Christianity, I'm trying to help, help us see the essence of it. Jesus could have said, knowing what was ahead of him, no thanks, I just don't want to do that. I don't care enough about those blankety-blank people. He could have said that. They don't give a rip about me anyway. But he didn't. He went through that gate knowing what was facing him in the week ahead, knowing that a cross awaited, and he did it because he loves you. Now, friend, if that doesn't make a difference in your life, I don't know what will. He did that for you. He did it for me. And my question simply as I close is, have you ever thanked him? Have you ever thanked him? You know, a lot of people do great things in this world and they just go unthanked. Teachers teach for 40 years and never get thanked. Community leaders serve selflessly for decades and few, if any, ever walk up and say thank you. People do heroic things. Parents pour their lives out, sacrificing for their kids and and maybe, hopefully, a child one day will say, thank you, mom, thank you, dad. Hopefully it happens. But the greatest sacrifice ever made was what Jesus did for you at the cross. My question is simply this, have you ever thanked him? Maybe now would be a good time. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. So as we pray right now, you may want to do it audibly. That's okay. Don't think you're out of line. You may want to do it 
very quietly. You may want to do it silently. But I would ask you right now in these moments, as we, as we wrap up and our worship team returns, I would ask you to just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did for me. Let's take a moment and do that. Lord, we do want to pause and thank you. And from every heart, you see the cry. You see, Lord, the thank you. You hear it. And Lord, may you receive it now as we thank you for what you did for us, dying on the cross. And Father, for for those today that may have never said, I open my life to you, I, I give up trying to run my own life and hijacking my own life for my own purposes, and I, I turn it all over to you. I'm so sorry for doing it my way. I want to do it your way. I want to turn the leadership of my life over to you and the direction of it. May this be that moment. Whatever you do, thank him for all he did that makes Good Friday good. In Jesus' name, amen.